In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we are, as we contemplate thinking about, focusing on, maybe stressing about, as we're preparing for Christmas, as we're thinking maybe what we want Christmas to be this year, or maybe what we want for Christmas this year, I think, I think I'm right if I say that in every believer, in one way or another, if you drill down, and if, and if we could actually have, have a hope of actually having this this year for Christmas, I think we would all agree that we would be willing to forego, at least for one year, all of the, maybe the trappings of Christmas, even the parties of Christmas and the gifts, if actually we could hope that this year for Christmas, we could actually have an experience just like more God in the world. If there was more and we could experience more of his mercy, more of his goodness, more kindness between those who confess Christ, more grace, more love, and more peace. Hmm? If we could actually have a hope of having that, and if we could trade everything else that's coming this Christmas for that, I think most of us would at least one year would be willing to do that. But think about this. What if, and I'm, this is coming to me from the gospel reading for today when John the Baptist is talking to all of the people who are asking him what should we do to get ready for the coming Savior think about this what if God is already in the world what if he is already working in the world everywhere to sustain creation what if he is already at work for repentance and for faith and what if what if he is hidden what if he is hidden and is so to speak, wearing a mask. And what if these masks of God, what if we fail to recognize him often because these masks are so ordinary? We, our culture does idolize things that are extraordinary. And when we think about what God might be up to in the world, if you were going to make a TV program about what God is up to in the world, our mind, our attention would, it seems like, would naturally go to extraordinary things. Like if you were going to make a documentary about God's work in a hospital, you would think first about, have there ever been any miraculous healings in this hospital that cannot be explained by science? Maybe that's where we would find God at work. Or maybe we would think about really risky surgeries that somehow managed to be successful. Thanks be to God, that's God working in the world. But what about, where would you include in your hypothetical documentary, what about the hundreds of doctors and nurses and receptionists and counselors and janitors who just do their job in the hospital so that your kids and grandkids can get amoxicillin so they can go back to school tomorrow to be taught by ordinary teachers and coaches and past is that not all in itself miraculous is that not also god at work in our world our kids to the culture today you know teaches kids well this was up until about 
five days ago, taught kids to idolize people like Kanye West or Elon Musk and, you know, how he's saving the world from evil. And to aspire to be leaders and influencers and athletes, but so little of what our kids hear. How much do they hear about the goal of your life should be to love God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself? And we believe that, or we are told that things are valuable and we should calculate their value based upon how much attention and especially money they bring in or how much fleeting happiness they provide or how they stroke our pride. And I just, I don't want to go on like this for ever, what I'm saying, but I just want to highlight this. We, ab we absolutely seem to have to monetize everything, okay? So for example, this week I saw another one of these clickbait articles, and of course I clicked on it, that was about how much the unpaid labor of stay-at-home parents, especially moms, was worth in dollars and cents accounting for inflation now, okay? Now, I was, I was raised, I had in my family a stay-at-home parent. My dad stayed home. And I do want to, my point is to underline and hold up and to celebrate and to say that is a wonderful divine work. And it does often go unnoticed and uncelebrated. And so, great, we can celebrate it. We should point it out. We should hold it up. But why do we have to calculate the value of it in dollars and cents because if it's not monetized it doesn't have some kind of respectability in our world right remember this remember this that god created and commanded the work of fatherhood and motherhood and brother and sisterhood and grandparenthood he created and commanded and invented all of those things he also created and commanded good government and law and order and social justice and citizenship and civic involvement and he also has created and commanded and made you a member of his new kingdom and his new community through the blood of jesus god invented and created all of those things for our flourishing and for our salvation human beings invented money and human beings invented about a century ago the idea of a career human beings have also apparently decided that you aren't really human unless you contribute in this way and your contribution must be measured as a career in terms of dollars and cents. Now careers and money are things that people can and very often should have. Fathers and mothers can have careers. They can be good for us, good for our community, good for the world. They can be used as part of God's kingdom. But remember, St. Paul says this today. He says, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. In your life, the new things of the kingdom of God have already come. And the old way of calculating value in dollars and cents, in 
economic contribution. All of that has passed away. That is no longer the way we calculate value. What if God is already in the world? What if he is hidden and what if he is already working to sustain and to uphold his creation? And what if he is already working for repentance and faith? And what if he is hidden? And what if we can't recognize him because because everything about our world is so transfixed by what is extraordinary? The truth is, each of you, each of us, has, this is the big church word, vocation, a vocation, many vocations. Each of us has a calling and a place and an arena in the world that is given to us where we are to We are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, as the Bible says, to rejoice in the goodness of God through Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of our sins and to love our neighbor. And this vocation is our connection to family. It is our connection to the new creation, which is God's community and church here on earth. It connects us to our society and our country and our community that we live in. And in these vocations, these things that each of us has, these places, these callings, God is working through us in a hidden way, like he's, like he's using us as his hands and his feet. We are his masks. We are, he hides behind us and works in us and through us to uphold the world and to make it flourish. And it's true, some people do have extraordinary vocations. John the Baptist was extraordinary. That's why he dressed in an extraordinarily weird way and did extraordinary, extraordinarily lunatic things to call attention to himself that he might call our attention to Jesus. But when people came to Jesus and at, or came to John the Baptist and asked him, Okay, Christmas is coming. The Savior is coming into the world. He's about to be revealed. What should we do? He says to them, what does he say? He says, as Edwin had memorized already, (laughs) he pointed at the tax collectors. He says to the tax collectors, he says, only collect what you're supposed to collect. Do your job. Don't be mean. Do your job well. He said to the soldiers, don't intimidate people, but be there and protect people. And he said to everyone, show kindness and love and mercy to each other in concrete ways, sharing with each other, caring for each each other. As we prepare for Christmas, that's why John the Baptist comes, to help us prepare. God is speaking through John the Baptist and is calling us in our preparation for Christmas to embrace with thanksgiving and joy and to love the ordinary life that we have been given. Because, because this is the life that Christ has come into the world to redeem. Not some other life, not some other richer, better, more beautiful version of you. You, in the life that you have now. He has come into this life to redeem this life, to redeem you, and to work through you in this life, not some other life, not some more attention-getting life, but to work through this life. 
And that, John the Baptist is telling us, that is what we should be reflecting on and prioritizing and repenting around as we are looking forward and getting ready for Christmas. And this, now this is not this saying, how great are all these ordinary things. This is not, by the way, some Norman Rockwell, everything is calm and tender and bright Christmas kind of thing. This is actually difficult. This is actually hard and there is actually real work and pain in this. Because working for the good of the church and your family and a community, this can be heartbreaking work. And it calls for courage. And it does call for being ready to make difficult decisions because, because the things that ruin and threaten family and church and community, often they come from within family and church and community. But when John the Baptist says, repent because Christmas is coming, he is talking about turning toward the light within this ordinary life that we live in church and family and community. This is where our attention needs to come back to. This is where our hard work needs to be done. This is where our repentance happens. This is where we turn towards the light because this is the life that God is coming into the world to redeem. Not some other life, not some better version of your life, not some past life, not some possible future life, not some impossible fantasy life, but he is coming to die to make the life that you have now not extraordinary, but even better, he's coming to make it holy. And he is coming to make it the place where holiness happens. He's coming to make your day-to-day -day existence holy ground. To take it, to come into it, to cleanse it by his blood, to make it spotless, pure by his sacrifice, to redeem it. And in doing that, he also wants to use it. He wants to keep people alive through you, little ones. He wants to, he wants to show his care and his kindness and his compassion through you. He wants to lead others to salvation through you. In you, he is giving people friends and companions and fellow travelers on the way to the life of the world to come. And he works in you the desire to pray for others and for the world. And he listens to and answers those prayers that he works in you. We pray, come Lord Jesus, come Emmanuel. And when he comes, at the last day when he comes, all of the huge and extraordinary problems in the world that we see on the news, when he comes, all of those problems are going to be over real quick. I mean, they're just, it's going to be done. There's not going to be more of that. And until he comes, he is working through us, through you, through the life that has been given to you right now, even and especially sometimes through the pain and through the crosses that you carry. Because this is the life that his cross has saved and redeemed and forgiven and made holy. In Jesus' name, amen.